Huh? Let it bump though. Hey everybody, it's Coach Jones. Welcome to another episode of Logos and Polos. We have another veteran tonight. A coach that's been across the country, been at every level. Um, he's with us tonight. We're going to get in here and talk about some things. Coach, what's going on, man? Man, I'm good to see you again, man. Um, happy to be here. going to have a little storm in Chicago, so I'm locked inside anyway, so let's get to it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Got to be careful out them Chicago streets, man. No, we good over here. I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm good in these streets. Now that when you come to visit, you gotta know what you're doing and where you're going. But other than that, we we good. For sure, for sure. Well, coach, you know, coach has been. Uh, you know, a lot of times on this show, we don't really get into the basketball piece. We really talk about the ups and downs and the positive, mm-hmm. and the negatives. Just being a being a collegiate coach or a principal or a CEO of a a company, but coach, you've been at every level, man. You've been, um, you know, at, at HBCU, you've been at the mid-major level, you've been at the highest level coach, you know what I mean? Talk a little bit about just your journey in terms of just this this industry and how hard it is to stay in this thing. Well, it, you know, it's definitely hard, man. Um, I've been doing it, uh, just completed my 28th year. Um, didn't really know where it was going to go when I first started uh, as a grad assistant once, once I left um, – Minnesota State University, uh, where I played at. And, you know, I was there for six years, and I thought one day I would be the head coach of my alma mater, um, but had a chance to go have my first Division One job, I think, in 2001 at Maryland Eastern Shore. Um, so I'll say this. It was, it, was, it was different. You know, going from Mankato, Minnesota, to Princess Anne, Maryland, uh, <laughs> going to games that was against South Dakota State and South Dakota and, and – um, you know, schools up in, in the in the Dakota area to go on to play against Hampton and Norfolk and um AT uh, was a was it was an eye-opening experience for me when I first started, but it was a good experience. It taught me a lot, um, you know, made me hungry, kept me hungry. Um and I, and I learned a lot from my experience being in the HBCU when I was at Maryland Eastern Shore because things are different. You know, you don't have all the things that you have like um at the high major level or at, at some of those other mid-major places I played. But you know, I was fortunate to have that experience, um, you know, working my way up to working, you know, in the Big Ten. You know, um, I did that for five years, coaching the Missouri Valley for five years, coaching the Horizon League uh, for, for, for four years, and now back at the high major level with DePaul. And I think you might have heard me speak on this about the journey. The journey the journey is diff- difficult. Um, you know, once I was, you know, breaking through the ranks and had my first mid-major job uh, at Illinois State after I actually left Maryland Eastern Shore was a high school coach for two years. Um, you know, I had a friend of mine that was coaching at North Carolina, and he might have heard me tell his story, and they got let go. And then the next time I saw him, and no disrespect to the school he went to work work at, but I think it might have been Manhattan, and I was just like, damn, like, how, how, you know, how is his, his psyche? You know, you had North Carolina – you know, making hundreds of thousands of dollars, clothing allowance, nicest car, private jets. Um, now you're back on that ground like everybody else where you, you know, bus lead, um, you know, rentals are different, hotels, stipend is different, meal stipend is different. And I was like, you know, how would that be? You know, I wonder how his psyche was. And I don't think, I was like, I don't know if I can handle that. And it happened to me. Was that Power Five, U of I, working in the Big Ten at my state school, and you know, staff got let go. And I, next thing I look up, I was at Milwaukee. 
But, you know, through the whole journey of going through getting hired, fired, whatever, I didn't lose me. Because I was the same guy that was working at Maryland Eastern Shore, that was working at Division II Minnesota State, that was working at Big Ten Illinois, that worked in Milwaukee. I didn't lose Paris Parham. So at the end of the day, you know, going through the journey, whatever you do, you got to remember who you are and what your purpose is. It's crazy. You know, everybody that I bring on the show has a different type of story and, and relationship um, to the logos and polos because you just hit it right on there. One day you're in that North Carolina logo, the elite logo that everybody recognizes. And then within the blink of an eye, you could be uh, again in a logo of a, of a lower league. And now people are now asking you, what's that logo? What school are you at? You know, and, and that is a psyche thing, especially you think that once you reach the top, you're supposed to stay at the top. Yeah. But a lot in our business, it doesn't work like that, man. So I'm going to dive into the second question, Coach. In between those times when you did transition from whether you went from, from up to down or down to up, when you didn't have one of those logos to represent, Elaborate a little bit more on being who you are, just wearing your own logo and staying true to who you are. So, you know, one thing for me is um, the, the most important logo I wear is my last name. And that's Parham. And that comes with something. Uh, I come from a large family in Chicago that was well known. My dad had uh, 11 brothers and two sisters. So, you know, I had to protect, protect and make sure the name was being carried on the right way. But with the name Parham comes my family, my wife and my son. So no matter what you know, school I was working at, no matter how the season was going, the barometer I always judged myself on is how I was doing as a father. Because more than any shirt I'm aware, that's the most important thing. I got to make sure my family's straight first. And you know, when I didn't have a logo on, I just made sure I wore that father cap even more than I could because those times where you know, in this profession, you're going to miss some birthday parties. You're going to miss some games. You're going to miss some social events. And, and the biggest thing for me was when I had time to spend with my family, that's what I did. And, you know, even I told young, you know, a bunch of young guys that might be going through a transition that doesn't have a wife and kids. You got a mother, father, cousins, you know, grandmother, aunties. You got somebody that supported you that you can spend some time with that can keep you upbeat and keep you going. So for me, I just dove into my family, man, and just waited for that opportunity. Man, it's, it's crazy because in my time out, you know, when I was out seven years ago, you know, my first time being out, I realized that, you know, when you have that logo on, that phone rings, it, it continues to ring, whether it be coaches, high school coaches, college coaches, everybody's in contact. Mm -hmm. But when you take that logo off, that phone dries up and you really start to see, man, you know, these dudes really wasn't my friends. These, you know, these are some associates, some guys we work with, some people we work with. The people that really care about me is the people within these four walls, my family, the people that you know, really, really care about you. You learn that in that process, man. I, I respect I respect that. You know, uh, that was brought up when you saw me at the at the on the panel at the final four. And here's my take on that. You know, some guys, you know, we have a lot of acquaintance through the business. People we see, we have familiarity with, but we're just going to talk to them because it's that time we see them on the road and we respect them for who they are and what they do. But a lot of times I, I really feel like when you lose a job, sometimes people just don't know what to say. 
or, you know, sometimes they just feel like, you know what, I got my own problems. I can't deal with his right now. And I don't really take it as like, you know what, you're not my boy. You're not my guy. It's just a situation. We're all dealing with a lot. Like I got some guys that I'm really close to right now. That's you know that's really good coaches that's trying to find a job. Now, do I call them as much as I should? Probably not. But as we talked about, you know, before we started the show, like, you know, recruiting right now is so different. Everything is so different and everything is so different with your time. Now, you're going to make time for things that are important. But I always looked at it like, you know, when I didn't have a job, my first time out, I was like you. I was thinking the same thing. And I was being like, I was being bold. I was just like, you know, I was wanting to curse everybody out. I wanted to have a scar face on, like, you know, don't talk to me. Yeah, all right, I'll see you. You know, you're going to need my help. You're going to come to Chicago and call me. Then I had to sit down and, like, really just have a clear mind on it. Like, you know, this is my, this is a me issue. And this is not like people don't care, but this is important to me. And so I got to do what makes me feel good for me so I can be prepared for my next step. And not be in a in a mindset of like worried about who's calling, who's not calling, you know, who's trying to help me get a job or not. Because you're right. When when like when I got this job at DePaul for the first time, the first month, you know, we still had some spots open. So everybody was calling. Everybody was calling. And then once we started playing some guys and beating a few people, they didn't want to talk no more. Um, but I, you know, I just I just take it in a sense of no matter what's going on out there in the world, no matter who's calling, who's not, just I'm a big you know believer in just be true to yourself and those who are in that space with you that's going to you know, go to war with you no matter what. You know, we, we talk a lot. You know, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, we do this job. You know, you've been doing it close to almost 30 years. Um, I'm just right over the 20-year mark. And just like you, I've started all the way at the GA level. So when you mm-hmm. start at the GA level, you work your way all the way up to uh, you, be, you know being a, a first assistant and having a chance to you know maybe one day becoming a head coach. You know that identity um, in terms of who you are uh, without uh, being a basketball coach. And so sometimes guys when they say, "Hey man, you know what do you do?" You know I coach basketball, but you're more than that. You're more than a basketball coach that piece of it, man, they kind of touch on that piece of it, man, of just, you know, not just being looked at as a basketball coach. It's, it's funny you said that. I was having a conversation with some of my guys here in Chicago that I work out with in the morning. And, you know, they were just asking about the, like the portal situation. I would say in the last five years, because of social media, the, the job has gotten harder because, the you know, the stakes are higher. There's so much pressure on the young men now. Um, there's so much information out there that, you know, back when I started, you know, 20 plus years ago, you know, you, you see a guy at practice, you might see him at lunch or whatever you go home, you don't know what they're doing. They don't know what you're doing. Um, and you're done with them until the next day. Now with social media, you get to see like, you, you, Hey man, what you doing over there? Like you get to know everything. And, and I think more than anything, um, the psych whole psych psyche of it, has changed for us as coaches and for for us with the relationship with the kids. Now you have to spend so much time with them because you just never know what they're going through. We do a good thing at DePaul where everybody has mandatory breakfast and the coaches meet them there. And if you have breakfast, if you have class at 940, 
you need to have breakfast be by breakfast by nine ten so you can eat and have thirty minutes to get to class or spend some time with a coach. And I think that's important because they're they're dealing with so much. There was a time when something was going on in another state in another city, you wouldn't hear about it for three or four days until the next morning until the news came out. Now you get the information; it's right there, right now. You know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. You know the 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 information's there and. I think the kids now are just overloaded with so much information that you're almost like a psychologist or I call it a life coach more than just a basketball coach. And I think it's always been a component um, since I started coaching. You always tell a parent or parents that, you know, we're going to take, take your son in and we're going to continue to do what you've been doing to help him grow up to be a, a productive young man in society. And, you know, now that's like more, even more like, the major component because there is so much going on. So I just think the whole psyche of how much time we have to invest in the players, um, not just being a, a guy who can get on the court with you and rebound for you or, you know, help you with your jump shot. It, it's so much more now. So, I mean, and you said it, the job is getting harder for us as coaches, uh, more hours on a job that really consumes your life anyway. So, Talk about how you really separate, what really helps you separate your personal identity from your professional identity. You know what? For me, I, I try to be the same on both levels because when you start trying to um, be one person at work, one person at home, one person out in your third space, I think you can get confused. And that's how people lose themselves. And I talk about you know being true to who you are. Um, if I'm going to be a good father, I'm going to be a, a good husband, I'm going to be a good coach. Those kind of things align. Um, so, you know, one thing that we had when I, my kids was growing up, I got two sons. They're uh, 25 and 21 now. Uh, you know, they would come home and we would let them talk. Like, how was your day? You got 10 minutes to explain how your day went. A lot of coaches, especially in this day and age, um, we talk at the players and just give them what we think and how things should go. And we never make them understand our why. And then we never under, you know, we don't give them a chance to explain their why. Now, because the platform of social media gives everybody a chance to go out and say and do whatever they want, I think it's more important to have a consistent basis and a consistent training on who you are and what you do. So for me, the same guy that, you know, it's kept my wife with me for 25 years. That's kept my son, my son's respecting me, calling me every day since they've been away from school. Um, me calling my mother every day or my grandmother checking in with those people. Um, you know, being that person carries on into my job and my, you know, it's the same thing with my kids. Because when you get those kids, you've been a head coach, you know, they're an extension of your family. You think about those kids, especially during the season, probably more than you do your own kids at home because you're trying to you're trying to get something to work. Just like, you know, you're trying to get your wife, you know, when you first met her or whatever, and you had your first kid, all that stuff. If you're successful in that, it should be the same way at work. That's just in my humble opinion. Nah, you're 100 percent right. We're here with Coach Paris Parham at DePaul University and coach, you know, we're going to dive into the, the investment piece. Um, in terms of how much we invest, we, we just kind of really got into it. You know, would you say in your career, you know, your 28-year career, you underinvested or overinvested 
in terms of uh, just everything you got to put into this business and how do you keep yourself mentally sane from all of the things we got to deal with? I'll say the first part is I've overinvested. Um, I got my, my son's graduating from college uh, next in a couple of weeks, my youngest son. And I've missed, he's a, he's an actor and he's a college basketball player at the same time. Never been to a college game to watch him play. Uh, four years, I think I've been to two of his, you know, plays on campus. Um, I missed my youngest. I was at my, my oldest son's first college game. I didn't see any more of them. Um, when I was, you know, when my kids were younger, I missed birthdays. I missed family celebrations. Um, so, you know, when you have, when you're taking time away from the most important thing in life, and that's my family to me, you're, you're committed. Um, when I have to, last night, I had to take a recruiting call. So I was out trying to watch the game with my best friend. He was like, damn, man, you pulled up like an hour and a half ago. You've been, I was on the phone. So when you talk about taking your things that are most important to you, the time spent with the most important people in your life, and you have to do work during those times at all times of the hour. Um, you know, I had some kids that was out the other day at two o'clock in the morning. They had, you know, they had a phone situation. The Ubers wasn't working. I had to get up and go get them. You know, I told these people, parents, we're going to take care of them. These kids, they didn't do anything wrong. They just, stuff happens, you know, um, technology. Like we were having some trouble, we weren't connecting. So whatever was going on with them, they call, you know, I'm, when you when you commit to it like that, I think it's been an overinvestment. But when I first met my wife and I asked her to marry, before I told her, I said, listen, I'm going to be a college basketball coach. You might move a few times, but I swear to you, I promise you, I'm going to keep you happy. And um, we moved quite a bit. And, you know, just having the support from my family and my wife has been the, the, the biggest thing for me, because like I said, you know, we've taken every kid in. There's not a kid that I've recruited that ever played for me that I don't keep in contact with, that I don't have a great relationship. So that's the part that keeps you sane. Um, you know, more than winning basketball games, there's a young man in Chicago that played for me at Minnesota State, and I was a young coach. He has a great job. He's a police officer. Now he's um, like the director of parking and whatever. In Chicago's parking is a big thing. And every time I see him, he pull up on a car. I might he might honk at me. I'm like, "What's up, Donald?" He's like, "Thank you, thank you. You gave me a chance of life." That's bigger than winning any basketball game, any conference championship, just helping young people understand that they do have outlets and they do have chances. And he's from he's from when these kids talk about being out the mud, he's from the mud. And, you know, giving a kid like him a chance to know that there's something different than the streets. That that's that's the stuff that keeps you going and keeps you sane. People don't realize uh, the type of families we come into contact and, you know, no. those kids say, I got it out the mud. You know, some people may say, ah, you know, he's not, where is he from? But we go into those households, we go into those those neighborhoods, communities, and really see what some of these kids uh, have to deal with. And then, you know, now the mental health piece of it, you know, uh, with the portal, with through the pandemic over the last four or five years, these kids have really changed. Talk about kind of dealing with that coach talking about talking to these guys about their mental health and trying to help these guys reach these goals and the pressures that they have on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, the, the first part is, you know, not to, to knock anyone's knowledge, but there's a lot of coaches in college basketball who don't really understand these kids. 
they don't try to get to know these kids. They see their talent. They're tall. They're athletic. They can dunk it. They can shoot it. They can help me move on in my career. Um, and I work for a guy, not going to mention his name, but we're recruiting one of the top three players in the country. And we was going to his house. And I said, Coach, you're going to meet me over here at this spot. He's like, why are we meeting here? I said, I need to get you your car ready. He said, for what? Because I know you're going to have your bag on your back seat. You're going to have some stuff on the front seat. We need to put everything in the trunk. And, you know, you're going to have to get out fast. And I said, follow me. And we drive down this street. There's going to be large green dumpsters every, like, 20 yards. And there's going to be potholes in the street. He didn't understand it. And he's like, what is it? I said, well, well, let me explain this to you. If you have your stuff in the car, somebody could easily break in. They're going to they're gonna break in and take it, the neighborhood we're going into. And I said, he said, well, what's up with the garbage cans? I said, well, the garbage cans is so no one can drive down fast, whether it's the police or nobody can drive down and do a drive-by shooting. The potholes are to slow you down even more once you go around the thing so they can identify the car and it just blew his mind. But these are things that these kids are living with daily. And then we got to the house. He's like, okay, which one is? I said, this building here. He's like, well, that's a nice building. We got up to the doorbell. He's trying to run. I said, coach, the doorbell don't work. And there was a hanger in the door that was connected to the lock to twist the hanger to go up the stairs. Blew his mind. I mean, it blew his mind because he didn't really think like people was really like living like that. And so at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that don't really truly understand what these kids come from because there's not people really going out and doing home visits anymore because of COVID and all that stuff. So you do a Zoom, which is comfortable. You don't have to leave your living room like I'm sitting here um, in Chicago. And, and where you at now in North Carolina? Carolina yeah. Yeah. And when we're sitting here having a conversation. So this is like a home visit. So the first part is the coaches have to know what they're getting. You have to understand where this kid is coming from. And then the pressures, like, you know, we're out visiting some kids and some, you know, handlers um, and agents. Everybody's got an agent now. And if you, every kid they said was a pro. Oh, he's a pro. He's a pro. He's a pro. And they're just throwing this word around like it's loosely. And But the thing is, they're saying it to us, but they're telling these 16 and 17-year-old kids, like, you're a pro. And then when they get to us and they don't know how to jump to the ball, they can't guard they're not physically ready um that psyche that messes them up because now they don't have a a foundation to go back and say okay this is my group and they're just like okay if you're not living up to what we think you are we're going on to the next person and that's where the, the mental health part comes at and um you know with a lot of these kids nowadays i you know i truly believe that um nutrition just pure nutrition is one thing that they're lacking that when they come to a college campus and they don't have structure about, you know, how they eat. Everybody doesn't have what DePaul has with a strength condition coach or nutritionist. Like we didn't have that at Milwaukee. You know, we had it at University of Illinois. We didn't have that at Illinois State. So now you got to go feed yourself. And what are you doing? Like, you know, these kids would rather sit in their room because it's, everybody likes the comfort and order um, something off one of the, you know, food apps instead of walking over to the cafeteria and taking time and getting a healthy meal. So a lot 
of these kids are dealing with things that they have no idea that they're dealing with until they get into a situation that's adverse and they can't handle it. And, and, and really that adverse situation, uh, you know, now I just, you know, I was talking to a coach the, the other day with NIL and um, these kids are, you know, like you said, everybody has an agent. They got an NIL agent and they got agents trying to figure out, you know, this kid's going to the league and these kids are getting, you know, they're getting a, a pretty good payday. Some of these kids won't get another payday like that uh, once they leave college. And, yeah. and that's the mental the, the mental piece of it, as you and I know, and we can communicate with these kids after they leave campus, that some of them, they gonna have to deal with it a little bit. Yeah, they, they will. When you look at a kid that you call a kid up, and he's averaged five points a game, and he asks you, what's the number? And you're like, what, the, what do you mean, what's the number? Like they want to know what the NIL is. Like you asking somebody, you asking me to give you a hundred thousand dollars. You have five points a game. A lot of these kids. Um, now, granted, if my son was playing and this was what it's going to be, I'm gonna ask for the same thing if he's good enough. Okay. But what we're doing is we're setting the kids up for failure. We're setting them up. And 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 the other thing is too, how many schools are giving these kids money, but also teaching them how to invest it. So when you look at some of these kids now that, you know, that's playing at, at, at a school that's gave them 50, 60, 70 thousand dollars or 100, whatever it is, you go on their Instagram, the money's all on their body. Mm-hmm. Whether it's jewelry, you know, fake gold teeth, earrings, uh, a Prada outfit, a Gucci outfit, the sneakers like, OK, we're giving this money, but are we helping out? How are we helping them with this? You know, how are we helping them understand financial freedom? Um, and I'll tell people this, too. You know, you, you you can run to the bag. You know, I've had some kids already that, like, you know, like the relationship piece was good. That's out the door now. So all your guys that you was cool with, that you can get guys from, you know, y'all been 20-year guys. And my boy, I know he's going to take care of me. He's going to ask you the same thing. But he's going to say the mom and daddy want to know mm-hmm. what the number mm-hmm. is. But that's out the window. I think we're really setting these kids up for failure because we're giving them something that they haven't earned. Do I have a problem with NIL? No, I don't. But we need. To, I think the NCAA should have put a cap on it and you know make it where um, it's not. We get right back into that thing of the have and have nots. So when the portal came out, this is just me going on a little rant. It was one thing that made DePaul sexy. Because now it's like, okay, the guys you didn't get the first time around is still trying to play at the highest level. You got a chance to bring them back home. Or you get a chance, like we had a kid um, that played for us that transferred back from Kansas. Now, when he came out, he didn't look at DePaul. It didn't go right for him in Kansas. So, you know, he was going to come here and have a chance to do his thing. But that situation didn't work out for him for some health reasons. But it just gave you a chance. Now you throw back in the NIL. Even for the HBCUs, you know, it was enough kids in the transfer portal. Well, now you're getting guys that can compete. Now you can say, like, okay, a kid that was at North Carolina State, now you can say, like, okay, you didn't look at A&T when you was coming out. Now take a look at me now. Or a kid that was at Maryland, you need to look at Eastern Shore now because, you know, you can, you know, the playing field can be flattened out and be even a little bit. But you throw the money back in there, now the HBCU schools are right back at the bottom. The Horizon League schools are right back at the bottom. You know, the schools that, you know, the the Mac and all those schools, you're, you're right back at the bottom because now they're putting you in a, a, a situation where you can't compete. So, you know, I don't mind it, but I think it's, you know, we're doing the kids a disservice, man. 
I agree. I agree. And uh, we're going to change gears a little bit, Coach. we got a lot of, you know, young coaches that will be watching this podcast. And, you know, you, you're definitely well-versed in, in what you've seen and what you've done in your career. Uh, give, give us some advice, Coach, on as coaches what we need to do to continue to grow as we, you know, deal with some of these issues that we've talked about so far in this podcast. Um, it's funny. Uh, my wife didn't come with me for the first time to the final four this year. And she's like, the year I don't come, you decide to get involved and do a panel and, and, and be, <laughs> be locked in. You know, I always had a different um, deal on it. And, you know, I had a lot of friends that early on, they thought, you know, if they get in all these committees, they get to know people and, and meet people. Well, when I was younger, my thing was like, well, they're going to be at the club. So I'll see them then. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I was always like, you know, I'll, I'll talk to the guys and I'll meet the coaches at the club. And, you know, and my thing was that that worked for me because as I talked about it in in, in the, the panel, for me as a person, um, my second love is fashion. So I was always going to have some clothes that was going to have somebody to want to talk to me about. And we was going to strike up a conversation. So I just think that the, the biggest thing for young guys is to you got to network. You got to network. I, I used to tell guys to go to gyms and, you know, especially when you make an, in a transition. Um, I just told a young guy that that was a, uh, he's a grad assistant looking for a, a real opportunity now. And I just told him, man, everything that's going on in Chicago, you got to be there. You know, you got to be out there shaking hands, introducing yourself to people. A familiar face is always a, a safe face. So um, I would just make sure you're, you're doing a lot of networking. Um, but this day and age, I think you do need to join some committees. Um, you know, when you go to the final four, uh, go to some, go to all this, the breakout sessions you can go to. And when you're in there, meet people. Don't be afraid to talk. Um, then the biggest thing, you know, back then, five years ago, I would tell younger guys, listen, know the players, know the players, know where they're from, know where they're from. from. Now that changes. My honest opinion for young guys now is know the agents know all the agents in your area because it started this year and it's only going to get stronger for the agents in the next two to three years down the line until they change it. If they do, if they don't, because the agents are the ones that's controlling everything now, not the AAU guys, not, not the high school coach, you know, all these high school guys that's, you know, top 200 and up, they're, they're going to have some representation. And when you say representation, when you say agent to a, you know, a young guy or a family, they're going to think that's like, okay, this, this, you know, this guy's handling the business for me. So get out and, and, and know the agents. And my, my biggest thing was this. Um, a lot of guys will tell you, I would always tell them this. If you get a good mid-major job, if you get a good job in a good community where you can raise your family, where you can have a good life, and you're making good money. Don't try. You don't have to be rich. Keep that job as long as you can. You know what I mean? Because everybody wants to get to the. Everybody wants to go high majors. Like everybody wants to be at this level. Everybody. There's a lot that comes with it. There's a whole lot that come with it. The the, the stakes, like they say, the, the the game changes with poker. When you get to this level, if they the the field goals, they move it all the time. Um, so, you know, that's just been my biggest thing. And, you know, I've had a lot of guys that was at good jobs at the mid-major level and they worked their tails off, which is great to get to a high major level. They'll call me and be like, P, he was right. This this shit too much. You know what I mean? 
But at the end of the day, whatever you, whatever job you have, work it as it is. It's your big time. Make sure whatever job you have, you treat it like it's the best job that you've ever had. And then, you know, try to have some success in that. Man, that's big time advice. Uh, I mean, you know, from a veteran coach that's seen it and been there and done it. Um, and as coaches, man, we do have another side. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Coach, that you're a fashion guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's me. You did, you did some photo shoots, Coach. Elaborate on your photo shoots, Coach. So, you know, it's actually started. Um, my, my father and my mother were, were huge in fashion. Um, coming from a large family, uh, we each had the um, family Easter uh, fashion show. Um, the, the family Easter fashion show. So I was been putting on suits and stuff for a long time. But <laughs> during a during a pandemic, we were all locked down, and you know, just look. Everybody was looking for something new to do. Everybody was looking for something new. And I was always looking at the, you know, the best dress coaches and um, our guy, oh, my God, Villanova. Um, Jay Wright. Jay Wright. You know, Jay Wright's always clean on the sideline. Suits made like they, they they look like they just, like, painted them on his body. So I would always – and I had to talk with Jay Wright, and Jay Wright was basically like, this is all given to me. Like, I don't – I just show up. They put me in it, and I wear their stuff. And he had his man statue, and, you know, he was always different. And so for me – Coming up, when I first started in 1995 as a grad assistant, I thought as a coach, I had to wear khakis, some loafers, and a button-up polo all the way up to the top, maybe had the top button open. I had to look a certain way. And for so long, I just never really got with the half zip, though. I couldn't, you know, the quarter zip. It just I had a couple, but I just really couldn't do it. And for so long, I just always felt like I was in this box. And then our guy that works for the Boston Celtics now that was the head coach at Penn, um, dang it. Uh, but I saw him out one time, and he had on some short – he had some joggers. You know, the joggers first came out. And I remember I was one of the first coaches that wear, like, the fitted joggers. And I remember, like, Coach. I remember. Not enough people. Everybody looking like, man, what's, like, what you what you doing? What you got on? And then you start wearing them short. So when I saw him do it as a head coach at Penn, uh, you know – institution like that i'm like if he could do it at Penn, why can't i be myself yeah. and so during the, during the pandemic i had some friends and me and my wife would always talk about like you know you should start doing something like to get free shoes you know just get a shoe company whether you're selling them or whatever you know line yourself up with somebody and we you know we just talked about it never really did it. and then during the pandemic i didn't really know this was a thing um i had some friends of mine here in chicago some women they are fashion influencers and when I sat down with them and they explained to me, they like, you should do it. I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. I don't have time for that. But really, I was just putting myself in this coaching box that I thought I was supposed to be in. And when I was working at Illinois and Coach Gross was telling me, like him and all his other guys that he worked with, um, other coaches, they had invested into a beer company. I'm like, wow, you know, they was doing that was a side hustle. And I'm like, okay, so these these friends of mine, they were telling me about how this influencer thing go. They were telling me how much money they made, which was crazy, insane. I was like, well, y'all getting all that for posting pictures and getting likes on Instagram? And they started me doing it, and I started it, and I had a lot of fun with it. I don't do it as much now as I used to because it's just, you know, been busy. But I started doing the pandemic, and, yeah, the photo shoots are fun. I like playing. It's like playing dress-up. Um, I like, you know, I don't, don't, I'm not going, like I said, after a big win, I'm not going to go smoke a cigar. I don't drink. I've never had a drink. 
I don't play golf, so I might take an hour and 30 minutes and put some outfits together, call my photographer and, and, and get some shots of myself. Um, that makes me happy. That's that's my release. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has their deal, and that's mine. But, I, you know, I love putting on clothes. If you need to follow me, you're on here. It's put together, P-U-T, the number two. P-U-T, the number two, gather. Um, check it out. I got some nice stuff on there. Definitely, man. And, you know, that goes exactly with what we're talking about. We are so focused as coaches on what we do that mm-hmm. sometimes it's like if we try to get outside of that box, we feel like we're cheating ourselves. But in actuality, yes. that piece of it helps you continue to be who yes. you have to continue to be who you are. Yes. That helps on both sides. Yes, I agree with that. And I, and I dealt with that. And like I said, when you saw me talk, like when I started doing it, I like felt relief. And there was some coaches that called me like, man, you a model? No, dude, I'm not a model. I'm having fun. Like I'm, my kids are gone. I'm an empty nester. I'm not going to AAU events anymore. I'm not going to uh, high school basketball games. My summer is not filled with practice. I don't have to take my kids to the gym. I need an outlet. And when I'm doing it, my wife is here with me. She's helping me pick out outfits and tell me what she thinks work. You know, I'm a better dresser than she is. Uh, but we we have fun with it. And I have fun with my friends with it. And I've been I've been paid for it. And I've, I have a couple companies that, you know, they send me stuff once a month, just, you know, free shoes, free clothes. And I take a picture in it and, and they're happy. I'm happy. Um, you know, it, it's my deal. I'm just letting everybody know I'm going to be in contact with coach. I'm going to figure out. Come on, come on down. Because, hey, listen. In, in the world we live in now, there are all type of opportunities. Uh, Coach, we're going to take this thing to the last media timeout. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, man. You give me a brief, quick answer. Uh, first one, why did you become a coach? It's funny. Um, I think, you know, I love the game so much, I didn't want to get away from it. When I graduated in 1995, I think there was a like a lockdown, lockout with the NBA. And not saying that I was good enough to play in the NBA, um, but I had dreams to be a professional player. And and what happened was that summer um, had some workouts and things were going good. But a lot of those fringe NBA guys started taking all the jobs overseas. And my coach was just like, listen, Paris, not that you can't go make a lot of money doing this. I think you're a very good player. You're really smart. He said, have you ever thought about being a coach? I'm like, no, I was a, a marketing and accounting major. I wasn't thinking about, you know, coaching. Um, so he just asked me. You know, if I wanted to go to grad school, you know, they took care of it. They paid for it. And, you know, 28 years later, I'm here and I love it. It's, um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do any other job, I don't think, uh, after all this time, you know, spending time around the game. Sure. Best advice you've ever received? Oh, my dad gave me the best advice. My dad thought I wouldn't do this for long. He was like, I don't know if you, you, you're tough enough. You, you're so nice to people. You're so kind-hearted. You care about people so much. I don't know if you're tough enough to be a coach. So entail, that just made me be a tough-ass coach, uh, just trying to prove him wrong. But that was um, that was one thing that I always had. But, you know, more than anything, uh, my mom would always just tell me growing up through life, just treat people how you want to treat you, how you want to be treated. Great time, man. So some of the habits, Coach, that's helped you be successful as a coach. Uh, being honest, being honest, no matter what the situation is, just try to be as honest with parents as possible and honest with kids. Everybody's not going to like your situation. But I think, you know, especially dealing with the young kids nowadays, 
Um, everybody, you know, a lot of them, they, they like the NBA guys now, like people with success in, in life and social media. Everybody's playing for likes, the selfie. It's all about them. And so when you tell somebody something wrong or something they need to change or something they need to do different, they don't want to hear it. But if you tell them the right way, I think they'll respect you more and, and, and receive it better um, if you're being honest with us. So just being honest um, is, has been the, the best thing for me. And like I said, you know, what I, what I put out to, to, in the world of somebody else's kids, you know, my kids were out there at two different colleges across the country. One's in L.A., one is in Minnesota now. And I just want, you know, them to be able to receive good faith from, from people also. Good stuff, man. One book recommendation, Coach. Energy Bus is a good one. Oh, the Energy Bus is great. I mean, anything yeah. by John is, is – Yeah, the, the Energy Bus is a good one because there's – that that like covers life, you know. You can break have breakout sessions with your team, read this book, and talk about different things that's going to happen. But at the end of the day, that book covers home, covers your 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 ride from work to home, from home to work, your in between space, covers everything. This question is a is a it's, it's a it's a it's a good one, and I want to hear your answer because. Just other information we've talked about and where you've taken this conversation. Coach, if you could start your career over tomorrow and you had the information that you have now already, you already had that information, how would you attack your career going forward? Don't get comfortable. My wife tells me all the time, like you, you just we get to a place and it's a good place and we make home home wherever we are, um, but don't get comfortable and don't you know, I believe in people. So if you treat me right, I think you can get it done. I think we can get it done. Um, I think I probably stayed at some jobs too long uh, when I had chances to leave, whether it was comfort being close to Chicago, whether it was comfort being, you know, my kids or my wife had a good situation, but just don't, don't be too comfortable. Um, you know, sometimes you got to go out and make things happen instead of waiting for them to come to you. That'd be my biggest thing. Definitely, man. Great answer, coach. Man, I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been fun. No doubt. I'm glad you had me, man. You know, you, when, you, when you called me, I said, for sure. Let's get to it, man. Let's get to it. For sure, man. Well, folks, this has been another episode of Logos and Polos. We try to get in there and get some guys to help us out. We look forward to the next episode. We got to see you soon. Peace. Peace. Thanks for having me. More shots and whatnot. We must not.